today is uh, a special day. Number one, because it's Shabbat, and Shabbat is always special. Shabbat is the holiest day of the week. Uh, I read a quote this week that said that the Shabbat, it, it should remind us that the entire world, have you looked around the world lately? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a car with four wheels, but one wheel's loose, and it's, or, or two, or all, all three are loose, and you got one, kind of one good wheel you're riding on, and it feels like it's about to go off the rails. However, it's felt like this before, and this is not the worst moment in history. It's the worst moment in our history, right? Well, we don't know what it was like to live through World War I and II. We don't know what it was like to live through the Civil War. We don't know what it's, what it's been like for uh, people in other countries who have been uh, persecuted and, and, you know, abused and oppressed. We don't know what that's like. So for us to say this, is the, this looks like the end of the world, we're spoiled Americans living in America, and so anytime something bad comes, it's easy for us to say, this must be revelation fulfilled. Well, all across the world, the book of Revelation is unfolding for people every single day. Kind of a crazy thought, huh? But this quote said that the entire world is living, is living in Friday afternoon. I just thought that was such a cool way to think about it. The entire world is perched and living in Friday afternoon. What's happening in Friday afternoon? If you're like us, you slide into Shabbat at 1,000 miles an hour and light candles or whatever you do, like right before it, you know, it's time. But Friday afternoon, everything's busy. People are hurrying. People are, are you know, moving around, trying to get things done, trying to get things accomplished before Shabbat. You're trying, you're trying to get your house in order. You're trying to get things cleaned up, straightened up, ready for the next day, and, and all these things, and it's a hurry, busy kind of chaos. And that's where we are in the world. The whole world is groaning and is, is, is trying to, to figure out where we are, and we're just living in that afternoon, that late afternoon period just before Shabbat begins. The whole world is ready for redemption. It's ready for restoration. It's ready for peace. It's ready for order out of the chaos, right? So this is Shabbat, and every Shabbat, we, we need to be very careful. And this is, listen, I, I'm a professional minister, right? It's what I do. I've done it in fellowships smaller than this. I've done it in fellowships 20 times the size, or churches 20 times the size of this. I think you qualify as a church when you get to a certain number. I don't know how it works. Anyway, not a written rule, or maybe it is. But what I have consistently seen and what has been our practice is that in Christianity, you ought to be excited about Sunday. And the whole church service is geared to hyping you and making you excited about Sunday. The worship, the music, the whatever. Or, if you're in different traditions, the solemnity of, of, of Sunday with the liturgies and the things. It, it's, to, it, there's something in the way we, we worship and we program our worship times together that, that tries to remind us of that. And that's a good thing. However, I want to be around people and I want to be a person 
that has an inner hunger for Shabbat inside. That, that all week we, we, we feel uncomfortable and we should feel a little uncomfortable in the chaos of the week because it's not the, it's not the kingdom that we know is in us and it's not the kingdom that we know that is coming fully later. But we, we should all have that Shabbat in mentality inside us so that when we come together here, it's not about the songs we sing. Sometimes the song selection is great. Sometimes I don't even like it, and I'm the one picking them and singing them. Sometimes the message is great, and I'm, I leave feeling like I nailed it. And other times I go like, why am, why am I even preaching? I'm going to get a job mowing lawns or doing something else that I can actually do. You know what I mean? You have those, those times. It, it shouldn't matter if Shabbat is inside of us, if it's something that's, that, we, that we, we internalize. It makes all the difference in the world. And so you're not here to come see a show. You're here because it's the Shabbat. And it's a picture of what is coming next. And we are internalizing it and we are manifesting it by doing what we do. Even if the lights are out or whatever's happening over here. I don't know. Crazy stuff. Even when stuff doesn't go right, even when live streams down, even when the sound doesn't work or the food gets burnt or the, you know, the challah's not good or what, not that it's not, it's always good um, for those of you that make challah. Uh, but whatever, the toilet overflows, whatever, it, and I'm teaching myself here. I almost had a breakdown back there just a little bit before service started. If you were here early, you saw it, forgive me. It's out of character. I try to be, try to be, uh, you know, try to present myself well. But in midst of all that, it's Shabbat. It's a picture. The whole world is looking for this time. The whole world is, is begging and yearning for some peace and the permission to cease. The whole world just needs somebody to tell them, you can stop. You can stop trying. You can stop fighting. You can stop clawing. You can stop hoarding. You can stop worrying. You can stop fearing. You can stop anxiety you can you can stop the whole world is on the edge waiting for that time to come so this day is important just because it is what it is but it's also important for another reason it's what i want to talk about today today is in in the land of israel shabbat here for us in the diaspora, the exile, today is Shmini Shel Pesach. Did I say that right? Shmini Shel Pesach. It's the eighth day of Passover. We have an extra day in the diaspora. Now, I know there's a lot of, you know, we've talked about it. There's a lot of debate over calendars and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I thought, this thought hit me last night. People that criticize the Jewish calendar say, well, the Jews added days to God's calendar. Like that's a bad thing. I only want to celebrate the days God said and, and no more. If you love the season, heck, just watch, about about three or four weeks, there'll be Christmas stuff out, right? <laughs> Maybe not three or four weeks, but it won't be long. Blink your eyes and there'll be Christmas stuff thrown up everywhere. It's only one day. 
But why? We celebrate it for a whole half a year because we love it. Well, you know, Americans. But yet, when Pesach gets an extra day added by the rabbis, by the Jews, we go, I'm not keeping an extra day. (laughs) Okay. Was the last six so miserable or seven so miserable that you refused to? We should want to keep a day. I, let, let's go all next week through Pesach. Everybody's like, no, I want a hamburger so bad. No, right. <laughs> Watch your mouth. No, too far. All right. But you understand, you understand what I'm saying. So today, Shminisha of Pesach is the eighth day of Pesach for us in the, in the, uh, in the diaspora. And it's so beautiful that today, that this year it falls on a, uh, on a, a Shabbat. The eighth day, we've talked a lot about the eighth day, especially as in regards to Sukkot, right? You have Sukkot, you have the, the Yom Tov or the High Shabbat. Then you have Chol HaMoed, just like in Pesach, the intermediate days. And then you have a final Yom Tov. You have Shmini Atzeret, the eighth day, right? You have Simchat Torah, Hoshana Rabbah, all these things at the end, the eighth day. Well, did you know that Outside the land of Israel, there's a second eighth day celebration besides Sukkot, and that's on Pesach. Isn't that interesting? What is eighth day all about? We've talked about this before, but what is the eighth day all about? It's all about the continuation of the thing. You don't, you don't after seven days, you don't start over with one and go all the way back to the beginning and do all this thing again. It's a continuation, eight is a continuation of the seventh day where you bring all those seven days and that becomes not something in the past, but it becomes something in the present and in the future. Did you catch that? Think about it in terms of Sukkot because that's what we're familiar with. Sukkot, now, according to Chanuk, he doesn't know what it is, what it's called when we do Sukkot, what what we're doing. Because nobody in Israel goes and camps out. That's not Sukkot in Israel. That's a very American Hebrew roots, messianic thing. Well, Hebrew roots. But for us, we, we leave our homes, we go somewhere temporary, and we hang out for a week. And we stay up late, or we go to bed early. We wake up early, or we sleep in. We, it's a week where, where it's complete peace and order and fellowship and joy And we have seven days of that. And then we have something called Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day. The eighth day is supposed to be taking those seven days and carrying them. That is supposed to become the new reality. Not only in the present, but also what we look for expanding in the future. Does that make sense? I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I just learned this year that that same thing exists at Pesach for those of us in the exile. Because the sages, in their wisdom, said, since we're unsure about the dating and people across the world won't maybe be able to celebrate the same times as in the land of Israel, we're going to add an extra day to make sure that you're celebrating within the times, in the Torah. Makes sense, right? Safeguards. And so for us, it happened to be an eighth day. Now, what does that tell us about this season of Pesach? 
I'm going to let you ruminate on that this week. But there is a special haftarah that is read um, during uh, on this day, generally, and we're gonna we're gonna read it together. So, if you would in your Bibles turn to Isaiah. I don't have it on the screen, so you have to look it up. Isaiah chapter twelve. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter ten. Isaiah chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 32, and we're going to read through chapter 12, verse 6. Some of you read this already this week. I hope you did. Now, while you're turning there, getting at chapter 10, verse 32, we, we have this understanding of eschatology or of the calendar that Messiah, Yeshua, came and fulfilled the spring feast in his first coming, Right? He came, he was our Passover, is our Passover, unleavened bread, right? And then Shavuot, the birth of the church. (laughs) Not really, but kind of. The coming of the Spirit, uh, hearkening back to and reinforcing the giving of the Torah, right? That's Shavuot. And what we're looking to is for Messiah to come and fulfill the fall feast to come around Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, right? And Sukkot with us. I want to kind of challenge that a little bit today. Not say I have the answer. Just give you something to think about. What if not? And what if Messiah instead returns during Pesach for the final redemption? I think these are well-held opinions on both sides. Kyle, would you say? There's a, a lot of evidence that maybe we should be looking for Mashiach to return during Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot. There's also a lot of evidence that we should be looking for Mashiach to return around Pesach. And I think it's very interesting as we read this Hofter, I think you'll understand why, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. Isaiah chapter 10, Yeshua chapter 10, verse 32 Yet today he will stand in Nov, and he will wave his hand contemptuously toward the mountain of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Um, just context, this is, uh, I never can say his name right, Shik, uh, Sennacherib, is that in English would be, I, Sennacherib, I can, can never say it right, of Assyria who is coming to surround Jerusalem, Right? And so that's who it's talking about. Verse 33, Behold, Adonai Hashem, master of legions, will lop off the branches with an axe. Then the lofty ones will be severed and the proud ones humbled. Forest thickets will be hewn by iron and the Lebanon will fall through a mighty one. Let's just stop. This is a complete rabbit trail. But I can't read this and not say it. Remember we have talked about in the Bible, men, people are trees, right? So look what he says in verse 33. The master of legions will lop off, lop off the branches with an axe. Like, 
that oak tree needs to be trimmed up a little bit more. Is that what we're talking about? No, we're talking about Sennacherib and his, he being the mighty cedar and all of his warriors and all of his men being these mighty cedars, okay? The lofty ones will be severed. Forest thickets will be hewn. Now, verse 33, we know we're talking about a man, right? But then verse 34, don't let your brain switch and go like, oh, well, now we're talking, there's just going to be forests leveled. No, we're still talking about people, okay? Forests, forest thickets will be hewn by iron and the Lebanon will fall through a mighty one. Doesn't mean, so you got prophecy watchers that would say like, oh, well, let's watch the forests of Lebanon. Whenever they start being deforested, then we know the end is coming. No, 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 no. Back, back up, take a deep breath. We're talking about people, right? We're talking about people falling, right? All right, chapter 11. Oh, a staff will grow from the stump of Jesse and a shoot will sprout from his roots and a spirit of Hashem will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of Hashem. These are the seven spirits spoken about in Revelation. He will be sensed with fear of Hashem. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor he decide by what his ears hear. He will judge the destitute with righteousness. How are they usually judged? With harshness, with prejudice? I do it. Do you? Oh, look how they're poor. They should have made better decisions. Sucks to be them. And decide with fairness for the humble of the earth. He will strike the earth with the staff of his mouth. With the breath of his mouth, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be the gird around his loins. And faith will be the girdle of his waist. Sound familiar? A wolf will dwell with a sheep. And a shepherd will lie down with a kid. I know we quote the passage about the lion will lay with the lamb. That's not, it's the wolf. Not the lion. Here. There's seven. A cow and a bear will graze and their young will lie down together. And a lion will eat hay like a cattle. A suckling will play by the hole of a viper or a child. And a newly weaned child will stretch his hand towards an adder's lair. They will neither injure nor destroy in all of my sacred mount. Where? Where? Where's that? Zion. So if I can just be a little bit of a contrarian, is this talking about this is the way it's going to be in the whole world? Maybe. You could make that case. But what Isaiah is focused on is the holy, a holy of holiest places, the center of the universe, which is Zion, Jerusalem, particularly the Temple Mount. Remember we've drawn big circles and talked about radial Kedusha, right? The bullseye. So this idea that, so, so we have these, these couple different differing ideas. We have this one, which is this idea that one day God's going to rapture us all and we're going to go up to heaven and the earth is just going to burn and waste away, right? Which I don't agree with, Okay. If that's your, if that's your, your viewpoint, 
cool. I just don't agree with that. The second view is this idea that one day the whole world then, if we're, if we're not leaving and going to heaven, God's going to renew the earth, then the whole earth will be restored and will be righteous and will be holy, right? But what if that's not what the prophecy's saying? What if the prophecy, this prophecy in particular we're talking about, is talking about Jerusalem? Har Habayit, the Temple Mount. And, it, and these characteristics of, our, the, the, of Zion. If the whole world is holy, then Zion is not special. But if Zion is the holiest of holy places on the entire earth, it should be the place where these predatory animals are now laying down with their prey. It should be the place where now children can play with snakes. It should be the place where there's no more tears and no more crying. Does that make sense? Not to say that God will not redeem the entire world and that everything's going to be perfect, but this is talking about Zion. It starts in Zion. Verse 9, they will never injure nor destroy in all my sacred mount, for the earth will be as filled with the knowledge of Hashem as the water covering the seabed. And on that day, the root of Jesse shall remain, that remains standing will be the banner for all peoples. Nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. So see how you have this, diff- this switch in focus from Zion to the nations, from Zion to the rest of the earth? And who represents the rest of the earth? This root, this shoot that is standing. Verse 11. And it will be on that day, my Lord will again show his strength to acquire the remnant of his people that will have remained from Assyria and from Egypt and from Patros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamas and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and assemble the castaways of Israel. And the, the dispersed ones of Judah he will gather in from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim will leave and the oppressors of Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will fly to the Philistine boundary to the west. Together they will plunder the residents of the east Their hands will be extended over Edom and Moab and their discipline over the children of Ammon. Hashem will dry up the tongue of the sea of Egypt and he will raise his hand over the river Euphrates with the power of his breath. He will break it into seven streams and lead them across with dry shoes. Does that sound familiar? There will be a road for the remnant of his people that will be left from Assyria as there was for Israel on the day they went up from the land of Egypt. Talking about a new exodus. Chapter 12. You will say on that day, I thank you, Hashem, for you were angry with me, but you removed your wrath and comforted me. And there's a real cool note on this that talks about, it's not the focus that Hashem was angry with me, but the idea here in, the, in kind of the original language is that I, was, I sinned against Hashem, and so he exiled me. He put me outside of the land as a, as a Jewish person, as an Israelite. 
And through that suffering outside in the exile, that was the atonement that brought me back. See, atonement and forgiveness is not this sprinkling you get from God when you go, I'm sorry. And God goes, well, you're forgiven. Kind of like you put your, slap your mama, right? And you're, you're forgiven. A little forgiver, forgiven, a little forgiven dusting. Many times and most times, our atonement comes through the consequences of the transgression. You tell your kids to clean their room, right? They don't. They're lazy, they forgot, they refuse to. Whatever level of rebellion you want to, or you know, or, or sin, quote unquote, you want to you use, they don't. How do they gain redemption? Do you just go, it's okay, you're forgiven, the room can stay filthy? No. How do they gain redemption? By cleaning it up. See, the atonement, the redemption comes through the consequences of the transgression. So this verse in Isaiah is is taken to mean that as an Israelite, I, I messed up. You sent me into exile. I suffered in exile, and that atoned for me and made a way for me to come back in. Does that make sense? So just as a a point of comfort, if you've messed up and made a bad decision, you've asked for forgiveness, God is is forgiving you. However, you're going to find true redemption as you walk through the consequences of that decision. The forgiveness is a given. This is why the last few weeks, and I didn't realize it until just now, this is why we've talked so much about, about focusing on relationships between each other a little bit more and between fellow human beings a little bit more because when we wrong a fellow human being and we go to God and go, I'm sorry, I did that, I shouldn't did that, it was a really jerky move, God goes, yeah, it was. But you're forgiven. But you don't really get forgiveness at all if we, if we believe the, the apostolic scriptures. You don't get forgiveness at all until that person forgives you. Redemption comes through the consequences of the transgression. When that person says, I forgive you, God goes, cool, it's all good. Forgiveness between you and him is a given. That's an understood. You're his child. Of course he's going to forgive you. The question is, are you going to forgive each other? Again, come back to a home. This is the living room. Come back to a home. This is what it's all about. As a parent, your kids are at each other's throats. They've wronged one another. They've stolen a toy. They've stolen a lipstick or a fingernail polish or a, I was about to say a boyfriend. God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get that messy. They've, they've, they've wronged each other, right? What is your, as a parent, what is your number one desire? That they get it right, there'd be peace. You are, forgiveness is already extended. It's out there and waiting, It's waiting for what? It's waiting for them to engage it. So as far as begging for forgiveness from God, if you struggle with whether God has forgiven you, that is a given. God, his forgiveness is is cast out. It's broadcast like a farmer that sows seed. It's out there waiting. It's just hanging there. 
What he's waiting for is for us to forgive each other. Verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. I trust and not fear, for God is my might and my praise. Hashem, and he was a salvation for me. You can draw water with joy from the springs of salvation. By the way, this salvation, every time you see it, it's the word Yeshua. And you will say on that day, give thanks to Hashem, declare his name, make his acts known among the peoples, remind one another, for his name is powerful. Make, again, his name. Do we get anything? But I know people, you might know people, depending on what circles you're in. Every other word is Yahuwah this, Yahuwah that, Yahuwah. Yahweh this, Yahweh that, Yahweh. Yehovah this, Yehovah. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It's all, it's everything is, and in Christianity, we're bless God. You know, I, I, went to the, I went to Walmart, bless God. And, you know, got in the line, bless God. And there's somebody, bless God. Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. We all, I, I, I know when I say this, it sounds silly and it sounds like I'm being a jerk. I'm not. His name is not an incantation. It's four Hebrew letters, yud, hey, vav, hey, or wa, hey, depending on <laughs> which translation you want to go with. Everybody wants to start saying Dawid instead of David, we can do that too, it's fine. Anyway, sorry, a little inside thing. Four letters. When you say that, it doesn't stir up a genie that, that all of a sudden is here to bless and do whatever. Bless you or curse your enemy or whatever. What does it mean when it says that his name, for his name is powerful. What have we just talked about? We've talked about God being my salvation, God being my redemption, God being my restoration. What is that? That's his reputation. He's known as, the reason why, the, why Isaiah's making this proclamation is because he's talking about God's reputation. This is how you know when God's around. There's salvation. There's redemption. There's peace. There's order. His name, his reputation, his character, who, his essence and who he is. Make music for Hashem for he has established grandeur. Make known, make this known throughout the world. See, we're talking about spreading reputation. Exalt and sing for joy, O inhabitant Zion, for the Holy One of Israel has done greatly among you. Again, this is all things that I'm learning this year. So it's the eighth day, Shemini Shel Pesach. Do you know that in many Jewish homes, they're having another Seder today? They're having a third Seder. Now, how many of you would have fallen out if I'd have said, okay, we have two Seders at the beginning, and then on the eighth day, we have another Seder? You ought to be like, oh, my God. (laughs) He'd have been like, you go have your own third Seder. In many Jewish communities, most observant communities, they're having a third Seder today. The Seder at the beginning of the week is named after King David. So the, so the Seder that we have at the beginning of the week in, in Jewish tradition is named after King David. This Seder on the eighth day or seventh day if you're in the land, on the eighth day 
of Pesach is called Seuda Moshiach, which translates Messiah meal. Try to get through. I'm trying to get through this. In Jewish homes today, they are having a Messiah meal. Most of us just can't wait for nightfall so we can run to McDonald's or Burger King or whatever to stuff our faces with yeasty goodness. And in Jewish homes today, they're having a Seuda Mashiach, a Messiah meal. There is a whole program, a whole time. That, as a matter of fact, the, the, the Siddurim and the, the Siddur says when you do afternoon prayers on Shabbat, actually do them early so that you have time for the meal of Messiah. So what is this Messiah meal? Well, in the first of Pesach, the Seder, like I said, is, is likened unto David. Second unto King David, who was Mashiach. He was Messiah. Because that's what Mashiach means. Anointed, king, right? He was Mashiach, Messiah. And the Jewish people, because their Bible tells them so, are looking for a Messiah like unto David, from the house of David, a shoot from Jesse. David is the beginning of the week. Messiah and the final geula or redemption is at the end of the week. Back in the seven, no, it would have been earlier than that. I had the date. I should have written it down. This really incredible Jewish sage named Baal Shem Tov instituted this Messiah meal. Yes, he added it. (gasps) This Jewish sage said, you know what? As we get deeper into the exile, we need to remember the light even more. As we get longer in our history that we're not all back in the land as Jews, the light needs to grow even brighter. So on the eighth day of Pesach, because of a bunch of scriptures and stuff I don't have time to go into, he instituted this Messiah meal. And what he did was he served four glasses of wine and matzah to kind of mirror the first Seder. And he, the, the story tells us that he flung the doors open and he invited anyone who was willing to come in and eat with him. Now, during Pesach, the doors are generally closed right? It's a covenant meal until the doors open for Eliyahu, for Elijah. During Seud Mashiach, the Messiah meal, the doors are flung wide open and any passerby, anybody at all, it's complete open hospitality. Come in and eat and let's talk about Messiah. A Messiah that hasn't even come yet as far as they're concerned. Every year 
at the end of Pesach, they're having this meal and it takes hours and hours and they get in love and they get enthroned and they get enthralled and they get lost in talking about a Messiah that they don't even have. A Messiah that, they, that has not come for them yet. And they invite anyone. Let's talk about the expectation of Messiah. Let's drink this wine, which is, which is about the joy that we, that we both have because we know he's coming. The joy that we have increasing because it's got to be any day now. And the matzah that represents both our affliction now in these days because Messiah has not come back or not come or not come back. But it also represents, the matzah also represents the faith of Egypt. The faith to walk out of your slavery and follow the God of salvation. Go in haste and to go quickly. Not worrying about what's going to happen and all the details and all the mechanics. Just move. There is this, this incredible meal that takes place. And I, I was, I'll post this link um, uh, maybe this afternoon. We've got to be on the road a little bit this afternoon. But there's a, there's a rabbi from Brooklyn Heights who's talking about this meal on, on the Chabad website. And I just sat there last night and I just, for 30 minutes and just squalled my eyes out. He said, why eat and drink at the Messiah meal? And he said, because we can think about Messiah all we want. We can contemplate. We can imagine. We can meditate all we want. We can talk about him all we want. This this is a Yiddish guy. Rabbi from Brooklyn Heights probably doesn't know a Christian and probably doesn't know anything about Yeshua except what they taught him in, in rabbinic training. We can think about Messiah all we want, he says. I'm not going to try to emulate his accent. I can't do it. It's beautiful, though. We can talk about Mashiach all we want. But he said when we eat we internalize Mashiach. (laughs) When we eat, we become, we become, I'm trying to think of the word to use, we become, I'm going to say it a different way. When we eat the meal of Messiah, we begin to radiate the character of Messiah. We bring it into the world. We take thoughts and words and we make them real. Do you remember Yeshua? Do you remember in the gospel accounts in the Last Supper where he said, he broke the bread and he gave a blessing and then he said what? Take and eat, this is my... And he poured a cup and he said a blessing and he said, take and drink. (laughs) The Jewish people have so, so much to teach us. 
about one of their brothers. Yeshua from Nazareth. We don't even understand. This rabbi said, when we sit around this Messiah meeting, when in expectation, not even in knowledge, in expectation, when we sit around and we expect and we hope and we dream about what it might be like and what it's going to be like when Messiah finally comes, we take of this matzah and this wine and we, we, we become messiahs ourselves. We become his image. During Pesach, the last day of Pesach, for the prayer service in synagogue, you remove the ark, before uh, the Torah from the ark, before it's read. And every time... There's a removing of the ark. There's always scripture read and blessings said. And it changes from holiday to holiday and from time of day, sometime to time of day. On the last day of Pesach, this is what, this is a, this is a Pesach Maksor. These are all the prayers and services that are done during Pesach. I'm not praying all these, and I know you probably won't either, but get this, for Less than $100, way less than $100. You can get every major festival's moxor. Get it. If you just read the introduction, it'll change your life. But I encourage you to read the prayers. Oh, my goodness. So on the last day of Pesach, when you remove the Torah from the ark, there's readings from the Psalms, readings from different things. And then the 13 attributes of mercy are read from Exodus 34. Adonai, Adonai, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, extending loving kindness to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and absolving the guilty who repent. Is that the God that people know? Is that the God that we've showed them? Or have we showed them some angry guy with a big beard sitting up with a lightning bolt ready to strike him? Just, oh, just wait. Just do it one more time so God can punish you. Is that something we want for people? It's something I want for those people that drive slow in the left-hand lane. Keep, just keep driving the left, just keep so God can blast you. No. But I tell you what, we've, I would almost bet my life on it. We've all thought that about somebody. I wish God would just judge you and get it over with. Maybe you've thought that about yourself. I wish God would just judge me and get it over with. Just judge me and let it be. I'm done. We need to hear about a God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and truth and extending loving kindness to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And then this is read. Master of the universe. This is a prayer that everyone says individually and silently. Master of the universe, fulfill my heart's requests for good. Satisfy my desire. Grant my request and enable me and you name your children and your spouse 
and all the members of my household to do your will with a perfect heart. Deliver us from the evil impulse and grant us share in your Torah and make us worthy that your presence may rest upon us. Give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding and may there be fulfilled in us the verse. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him from Isaiah 12 or 11. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and reverence for the Lord. Listen, listen to what the Jewish people are praying every Pesach on the last day as the Torah a scroll of animal skin is coming out and being presented. They are praying that this verse be fulfilled in us as they prepare to go to a meal to discuss and imagine and dream about a Messiah they don't even know. Let it be fulfilled in us. Let this verse be fulfilled in us. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and him, and her, and him, and her. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and of strength. A spirit of knowledge and reverence. Let this verse be fulfilled. Yeah, but that verse is about the Messiah. That verse is about the Messiah. Let this verse be fulfilled in us. Because you see, here's the wild thing. We have these books in our part of the Bible. Let's start with Matthew. So that's with Matthew chapter 5. How do you open this stupid thing? There we go. Thank you. This book starts with Matthew chapter 5, and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn or afflicted, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he begins to go on these these 
these teachings about being salt and light and, and on, on murder and on adultery. And he's teaching the Torah to the people. Let me ask you something. This Messiah meal, this Seudah Moshiach, didn't come into play until centuries after Yeshua. But how is it? How is it that we have adopted this poisonous, toxic attitude that because of Yeshua, we have nothing to do? We have no responsibility. We have no accountability. We have no, no skin in the game. We, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And thank Baruch Hashem he paid it all. But he didn't do it all. And I know that that the, the apostolic scriptures say that we are to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy or fervor, whichever way you translate that. But my God, I wish Paul would have also said, and in the same way, let them provoke you to passion. Let them provoke you to accountability. Let them provoke you to righteousness. Let them provoke you to image bearing. Because Today, as we are sitting at home frustrated because we, 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 I can't stand another cracker, another matzah cracker. I can't do it. I can't have another one. I'm just waiting. Why, why is it taking so long for the sun to go down? My God, I want, just want something. While we are wringing our hands over not being able to eat yeast, there will be Jewish families all around the world that are sitting down just engulfed in discussions about a Messiah that they haven't even seen. And they will pray a prayer, let this be fulfilled in us, the Spirit rest on them. The Spirit did come and rest on Shavuot. And what has the Spirit been credited for? In modern day Christianity. Speaking in tongues. Jumping pews. Running around. Wearing a bun and a long skirt and long sleeves. That's at the best. The Spirit's been, been credited with, with soothsayers and, and ear ticklers. And at worst, the Spirit's been credited with allowing people to break the very commandments that he gave. And yet, the spirit that Isaiah is talking about resting did come to rest on those who encountered a man named Yeshua, who he told to go and wait in Yerushalayim for the time. And when the time came on Shavuot, the spirit fell. And the Torah that they had studied from scrolls their whole lives was made real and new in them in a way that they'd never imagined.
See, what the Jewish people are waiting for, and, what, and, and rightly so, they are waiting for Messiah to come and to establish Malchut, kingdom. Malchut Hashem, the kingdom of Hashem, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, synonyms. The Malchut, the kingdom. But it doesn't keep them from doing righteousness. They're waiting, just like we're waiting. But it doesn't stop them from doing righteousness, from acting like Mashiach was already here. And yet so many times for us, for me, we struggle with, we just want to do enough to get by. I just want to pray enough to kind of fill my prayer quota. I just want to study enough to kind of have some word in case I need to witness to somebody. I just want to, I just want to be in Shabbat with other people just enough so that like they know I'm still around, I'm still alive, whatever. Uh, whatever. I just want to do enough good. I just want to do enough to get by. I just want to, I just want to send enough where I can be forgiven, but not all the way. I mean, I have a reputation to uphold and all this stuff. We want to get by so many times. And yet there's a whole nation, race, being of people that haven't even met their Messiah yet and they live like he's already been. Provoke Judah to jealousy while Judah provokes you to righteousness. Are you adding to the word of God? Yeah, sure, whatever. This is a two-way street. Us thinking that we just have the job of provoking Judah because we're something special and not being provoked in return, life doesn't work that way. You poke somebody. You poke a dog enough times, he'll bite you. You poke a cat, it'll scratch you. We need to stop worrying about how much we're provoking and we need to start being provoked. Because you see, Isaiah talked about the nations having a knowledge of God. Judaism knows about a Messiah. They know about a a Messiah called the hidden Messiah. Not that he'll be hidden from everybody, he'll be hidden from them. Judaism knows about a Messiah that will be hidden from them because he's not here for them. He is not here for them. He is so that the knowledge of God would fill the nations. Sounds a lot like my Yeshua. But they also know about Messiah that comes to take ownership of his own. See, Yeshua came and established Mahut, kingdom. That's what we're talking about all today. This is about kingdom He came and established kingdom, and then he left. And the last thing he expected was for all of his followers to go, see you later. (laughs) 
Are you uncomfortable yet? Silence is kind of uncomfortable. Guess I'll read a little bit while I wait. Okay, that should be enough. Any day now. Let this verse be fulfilled in us. Let this verse be fulfilled in us. That we have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. You see, when Yeshua came, he left. And he sent the, the comforter. Oh, he's supposed to comfort me. I'm so comforted. That's our problem, is that we're so comforted that we're not, we don't have anything pricking us to action. We could do without some comfort. This week, if it's been uncomfortable, good. We could do with a little more uncomfortableness. That we would have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Is that you? I'm not going to audit you. You audit you. Do you think of some, yourself as someone who walks with a spirit of wisdom and understanding? The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and fear or reverence of Hashem. Are we people that are sensed with the fear of Hashem? Or are we so calloused by our comfort that we really could care less if we offend him or not? He understands. He's God. He's already forgiven me. Or do we have a fear and angst about the holiness of God? Do we judge? He says he will not judge by what we see, and our eyes will not decide uh, we will not judge by what our eyes see, nor will we decide by what our ears hear. Is that you? Do you judge based on what you can see, on what you can hear? Heather had a beautiful post on Facebook this week that I, I wish we all could really just, it goes right along with this. Some of us compare ourselves to other people and what their walk is like. But the truth of the matter is, you have no idea what their walk is like. You might look at some other people and go, man, they know so much, they got it together, you know. That person is looking at themselves, wondering why their life is such a wreck. You might look at somebody and go, man... If they're trying to keep Torah, they don't have a snowball's chance. And yet that person is so in their bones, they are burning to please God. They just don't know how. They haven't been taught. How we judge. Do we decide with fairness? Or do we judge the destitute with righteousness? Whether they deserve it or not, it's not up to us. Do we decide with fairness for the humble of the earth? 
Are we girded in righteousness? May this scripture be fulfilled in us. Hey, listen. There are people that are praying this passage every year that haven't even met the Messiah that we know or their Messiah, I'll just say. They haven't even met their Messiah. They're, they're praying this prayer based on an expectation. And you know what? They're living like it's already happened. We have met the Messiah. We've been delivered and redeemed by him. We've been pesocked by him. Not only that, we have been given the spirit, the Ruach Elohim, and we just can't wait to eat some yeast. Messiah came for us. And he left. But along the way, he enrolled agents to be Isaiah 11. See, he was the epitome of Isaiah 11, the spirit of wisdom and counsel and strength and understanding. But he left and he sent the, the, com- the comforter back, Ruach back, so that we could be his agents and so that we could get to building not sitting on our duff waiting that we could get to building the kingdom that he established because it's in us he said it's in you it's near everything is aligned for there to be malchut on the earth for there to be kingdom of heaven on the earth everything is ready why is it not here well we're waiting for yeshua no no it's not here because we haven't done it Are we going to do it all right? God, no. I can't even walk from here to there without messing something up. But we don't wait on him. He's going to, he told a parable about this. Ruler comes back and goes, what the heck have you done with the stuff I gave you? Oh, I buried it. Yeah, not a good outcome. What does he want to find when he comes back? People living Isaiah 11. Take Isaiah 11, print it out on your computer, stick it up on your bathroom mirror, on your car rearview mirror, on your all over, refrigerator, stick it up all over the place. Because Yeshua has empowered us to be his agents. We should be building kingdom, Malchut Hashem, right now, right here. And if it's not being built, God forbid we look around and blame anybody else, including the Messiah himself.